Hey Trojan fans, it's time to get into the huddle with the Peristyle Podcast. The Peristyle Podcast is your weekly ticket to USC football and recruiting news. Don't forget, you can download the podcast 24-7 at our website, peristylepodcast.com. And now, here's the host of the Peristyle Podcast, uscfootball.com publisher, Ryan Abraham. Hello, Trojan fans. Welcome to the Peristyle Podcast on a Monday, talking some USC Trojan football with our guest Dan Weber, beat writer and columnist for uscfootball.com. Of course, we want to discuss uh, USC's win over Arizona, 49-35, to giving the Trojans basically a stranglehold on the Pac-12 South. I already booked my flight uh, to go to the Pac-12 championship game, so barring some kind of utter you know, huge collapse, USC will be there in Santa Clara um, December 1st, I believe, Friday night. Uh, we don't know who they're going to take on in the Pac-12 North, and uh, but we will find that out for sure. We're going to talk about the game got a lot of uh, questions about the officiating in the game, so we're going to do a little special segment in the beginning for that. Um, if you have any questions or comments for us, Pac-12, I'm sorry, Pac-12, I have that podcast later, our podcast of champions, podcast at uscfootball.com. That's our email here on the Peristyle Podcast. Or you can call or text 424-254-9141. Send us a text, uh, leave us a voicemail, 424-254-9141. Please try to keep the voicemails under a minute. We got a bunch of them today. Speaking of today, it's Dan Weber Day. We've been doing the Monday show with Dan Weber, and uh, he's been doing a great job covering this football team for, I don't know, the last 15 years or so. What's up, Dan? How you doing? Uh, doing good. Doing good. Uh, survived Saturday night. Uh, that game is over, isn't it? I think. Uh, <laughs> that guy's still not on that ref, still not on the mic, is he? Uh, I, I will say this. You've got to watch USC football uh, when they play a Pac-12 game because I think that's the first time in the history of college football when two flags were thrown, what, five minutes after the play, where it looked like a magician pulling a rabbit out of a hat. The guy goes through some long explanation about how they got the call wrong, basically, on the field. And, oops, that means there's a penalty. And he goes and pulls the flag out of his pocket. And you think, huh, I've never seen that before. Then he did it again, and you think, well, I have seen it before. He just did it a few minutes ago. <laughs> it's just like, it, it, it looked like, I mean, it, it was a clown show. And you just don't know what, I can't imagine, if you're on the East Coast, and it's 2 o'clock in the morning, and this guy, this referee is blabbering on and pulling the yellow flags out of his pocket, how do you keep watching those games? I mean, who would watch that? I mean, USC fans can't watch it. Uh, it's just. You talk about shooting yourself in the foot. How many you know feet does the Pac-12 have to shoot itself in uh, with uh, with some of this this TV, this late night TV? This whether it's it, you can't tell is it a horror show after midnight or a comedy show? It's maybe a combination of the two, but uh, it's awful. It was uh, it was pretty bad, and, and I don't think we've ever had the kind of response to officiating. I, I know we haven't, ever. No. Um, so that's the beginning of our show, is going to be talking about officiating, unfortunately. Um, but before we jump into all that, I want to thank our sponsor, uh, Trader Joe's. I just, it's funny, I pick up, wanted to pick up a few snacks for my office, so stop by Trader Joe's this morning. I have my USC Trojans Trader Joe's bag that they were nice enough to give us at that event we did uh, in August. No, I don't have any left. I just have the one that I'm using in my car. Um but I would, yeah, that's what I remember to bring. I'm usually, if, you know, if I go into the store and uh, I got to bring the recycle, you know, the reusable bags, I always forget. But that one I remember for some reason. So I brought it in there, picked up some snacks. Uh, but they've been doing uh, business uh, in Southern California and across the country for 50 years now. Their 50th anniversary was in August, and uh, had a great grand opening uh, for the the, U, the USC Village Trader Joe's location, which I had some friends. I sent them over there. If you were tailgating for homecoming, that was definitely a good place to go. I sent some of my friends over there and. They picked up some stuff, wine and cheese and things like that. So great stuff over there at Trader Joe's. If you're at USC, you definitely got to check that one out or wherever you are, whatever you're in. It's not just like fancy stuff. They've got cool, like, uh, you know, really inexpensive wine, beer, uh, cheeses, uh, and all the staples like you know, milk, eggs, bread, butter, stuff like that. So lots of – no reason to go anywhere else. Just go to Trader Joe's. They've been great to us here on the Peristyle podcast. And I, I heard it was pretty busy over there. I didn't, I didn't make it over to the, you know, we were parking on 
at the Coliseum, Dad. I didn't make it over to the USC Village, but I sent some people over there. I heard it was pretty good. Yeah, well, I have a, a, a Trader Joe's uh, uh, supermarket story here. Uh, uh, in our neighborhood, in Tustin, it was an opening of a competing supermarket. And, and a woman was going through the line with her Trader Joe's bag. And the uh, new supermarket's uh, uh, manager offered to trade her one of their bags for the Trader Joe's bag. And she kind of gave him that look like, eh. <laughs> and he said, what if I fill our bag with free groceries? <laughs> and that's what he did. So to get her to give up her Trader Joe's bag, he had to fill their bag with free groceries. So she gave it up. Wow. But, uh, so those Trader Joe bags are uh, a pretty good deal. So I would say this. If ever there's a supermarket grand opening in your neighborhood, go there with a Trader Joe's bag. You don't know what you might end up with. <laughs> nice. Well, these ones, everyone would love them because they're, they're all USC'd out. So they're like completely cardinal and gold. They got Tommy Trojan on them, like football players, stuff like that. So it's pretty cool with all the logos on it and stuff. But, yeah, they've been, they've been great to us. So definitely go check them out. That's not just something we talk about. There's something we actually do. Um, okay, so – Unfortunately, we probably got to start with this, and uh, I like to try to group questions together when I get a chance. Shout out to uh, Connor, who's been doing a great job interning with us and uh, and taking all of your questions when you send them into podcast at uscfootball.com and putting them in a little Google Doc for me to check it out. It's not that little because there's a lot of questions, but we had so many on officiating. I th- I'm just going to play them in a row. I'm going to read them all off. It's going to take me a couple minutes, and then Dan will take a few notes, anything really specific that he wants to bring up and then we'll we'll just kind of tear into it you ready to go dan can't wait let's go all right here we go first voicemail question for you hey ryan hey parasol family this is ray again um trojan fan in sec country i'll try to make these questions quick um watching this game watching this third quarter and and i'm wondering if anything um is there any recourse that uh usc has with regards to the referees, I watch a lot of college football, and I've never – and here we go. They just scored, and there's a penalty flag. I watch a lot of college football, and I've never seen referees impact games at the clip that they do when USC is playing. Um, and it's it's almost like third down and throw it deep is a play. Don't care if you catch it. Just throw it deep. There's going to be a penalty um, I'm wondering if you guys, and also you and Dan have been, in, you know, all around. And you've seen a lot of football played, and and you've covered a lot of sports. Have you seen any other conference or any other uh, group of refs that remind you anything of the Pac-12 refs? Thank you for taking my call and uh, fight on. Hope the guys pull it out tonight. They look like they might. Thank you. Bye bye. All right. Well, spoiler alert: they did. Um, okay, so we'll. <laughs> here's the second voicemail. Hi, Ryan. Uh, this is Don from the East Coast. This is for you and for Dan. Um, sitting here watching the game on the East Coast, 1 a.m. <laughs> so it's kind of late. Um, but I'm watching the game. It's the third quarter. They just scored at 35 points and tied it up. Whether the Trojans come back to win this game or not, I mean, we really got to look at these Pac-12 officials. I mean, they really destroyed the game in the third quarter with slowing down the pace and kind of getting the Trojans off you know, just all for the kilter, kind of like, I guess, and just, you know, giving, just slowing down the game. I mean, the penalties, it just just destroyed the game. And now, you know, the guys are sitting around, there's so much time left in the game, but you feel like you play for like an extra two hours based on that third quarter. So these guys are tired, and it, it, it shows how much that took out of the players. And I don't know how you guys feel about this, but this is for you and Dan. But, um, Great job with the show. Love the show. And you know, hopefully we can pull this one out. But on. Another spoiler alert. Yes, USC did win. Uh, but good, good call there. Here's one more call before we get to the emails and texts. Hey, Ron. This, uh, this is Alice from Delta, Alabama. Hey, this question is for Dan Weber. Uh, Dan, quick question. Is there, a, is, there a university, uh, is there a university school for the officials to go to? Because the officiating in the USC game this past Saturday was absolutely terrible. I mean, they need to learn what is actually targeting and what is not targeting. What's your thought? And listen to, I can't wait to hear your response back. 
Y'all guys have a good day. My favorite part of that call is he, he says great question. So he tells himself it was a really good question. <laughs> we agree. Um, okay, so here's – I'll go through the emails. So I took a few notes for you there too. We can, we'll have some topics, topics to talk about. Uh, question for Dan. What do the coaches and commissioners from other conferences say when they find out Pac-12 refs are going to call their bowl game? Thanks as always, Eric and Duck Country. Um, we have Mike in Santa Barbara. He says, uh, hey, Ryan, great job on the content on the site. Something new every day. Uh, thank you for that, Mike. Question for you or Dan, uh, the man, regarding the abysmal officiating. You don't need to be a conspiracy theorist to see something that's very, very wrong. My question is, what is this administration going to do about it? anything? I read on the piece suggestions about leaving the Pac-12. Is this a real possibility? I don't know uh, what we really get from being in the Pac-12 other than terribly biased officiating low TV revenues and poor game time scheduling. Please give us a realistic overview of what's going on behind the scene. I don't think Lynn Swan is... Uh, is a man to take this stuff without repercussions. Fight it through the flags. Mike in Santa Barbara. We got Jason in Longhorn Country. He said, I've seen some terribly officiated games by the Pac-12. However, the Arizona game has to be the worst officiated game I've ever seen. I mean, that is that is what you would call a fireable offense for gross negligence in any other industry. What the hell is going on? I mean, seriously, words cannot describe how completely and utterly awful the officiating crew was. Jason in Longhorn Country. We have, let's see, this one is uh, Ben. He said, another week, another, and he put four stars in a row followed by show. So I'm not sure what he meant, like good show or probably not good show uh, from the Pac-12 officials. Cost USC a TD on the Tate fumble, completely killed the following SC drive, took their sweet, sweet time on making the simplest of calls and generally looking lost, unsure, and out of control. This is laughable and very embarrassing for the conference. I mean, seriously, when will schools start speaking up? This year and this last game especially has been god-awful. Disgusted in the Central Valley, where a lot of our food comes from. Ben. Uh, thanks for that, Ben. Here's a text we got. This question is for Dan. Who are the officials they hire for Pac-12 games? Are they random people they give 100 bucks to and say, figure it out? That's how every officiating crew acts during key plays. Thanks for everything you guys do on the Peristyle. Scott in San Diego. We got another text. This one, uh, it says, Hello, Ryan. Mike from the Bay Area. Question for Dan. Is the third? Uh, it's the third quarter and was wondering, where are the Pac-12 getting these refs? Is there a new prize for Cracker Jacks to be a Pac-12 ref for the week? Terrible. Thanks for all the content and hard work you put into the site. As always, fight on. Mike in the Bay Area. We got a couple more. We got a, one more text. It says, Question for Dan Weber. Holy cow, what a terribly officiated game. Can you recall a worse officiated game than this? Thanks, Clayton, class of 2011 from Santa Clarita. And then uh, this is the last one, Earl in West L.A. What did Jack Jones do or say to warrant the penalty after USC stopped Arizona on the first drive of the second half? Pac-12 officials suck. Earlier it took them five minutes to figure out the Cats had 12 men on the field. They really suck. Earl in West L.A. Phew, okay. So those were all the officiating questions. Here we go. Uh, any recourse, you know, it's desperate enough that you wonder, uh, you know, when you affect the game as much as they did Saturday night, when you literally take points off the board, uh, with quick whistles or, you know, uh, improper holds or, 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 or flags on something away from the play, you wonder, could, uh, could you get an intervention, let's say by Las Vegas, maybe they could start, start charting what's happening in game-altering decisions in the Pac-12. And I'm almost not being, you know, facetious here. I mean, there, it's, it, it, the problem you've got is it's either the worst by far officiating anywhere on the planet or there's something more sinister going on. Uh, none of us want to go there, so I guess we're left with the uh, uh, it's just the worst we've ever seen. Yeah. Uh, are there other places like it? There are not. Yeah. Uh, absolutely not. I think that was Ray from SEC country. As somebody who grew up in SEC country, <clears throat> there were plenty of times, because I was you know, a Kentucky guy, a Kentucky fan as a kid, covered Kentucky. There were times Kentucky had some pretty good teams. <clears throat> they mostly weren't going to let Kentucky beat the good teams in the SEC because basically they said, you've got basketball, you know, enjoy basketball, you're not beating us in football. They didn't look uh, 
like they were incompetent. They knew what they were doing. They were in charge. They just, they did what they did. But, uh, but no, there's nothing like it. There's nothing anywhere near as incompetent. I think Tom from East Coast talked about destroying the game in the third quarter. For that reason alone, they should not, none of those guys should be allowed to officiate again. What they did to that game, they turned it not into a football game anymore. It basically became, you know, a series of uh, let's stop and, and look at the board. I mean, they were looking at the video board just like USC was. Good thing USC's got a, uh, you know, a big video board there, but, uh, <coughs> excuse me, uh, you just can't, you can't stop a game like that. You can't take over the game. You can't be on the, you know, on the, on the PA as much as the PA announcer. You can't be throwing flags five minutes after the play's over. You can't do any of those things. So, no. Uh, school for officials and targeting. Uh, again, I think some of the targeting calls are because they're so n- not confident in their own judgment. So they throw flags just to be safe. Well, I don't know if it was or it wasn't. Well, maybe not. I don't know if I was in position. I don't really know. Are they going to yell at me? Uh, I'll throw it. Just the heck of it. Let's just stop the game and throw it. Uh, good question about I wish we could get uh, honest feedback from other conferences and commissioners when they get assigned Pac-12 officials for a game. You would love to know, does, does a confidential memo go out to the coaches uh, <laughs> of the schools that are going to be playing with Pac-12 officials and say, look, you know, these guys are going to do stuff that you haven't seen unless they just, you know, hold on to everything. You know, and, and we don't monitor them. Maybe we should monitor them a little bit more when they work in, in other conference and in, in other uh, bowl games and things like that. Um, let's see. What do you uh, – what – let's see. I'm it's to think funny. Well, the, some of the, the others whole... here. Oh, fireball offenses, absolutely. Was it a, you know, four-letter word show? Absolutely. Uh, out of control? Right. And I think it led, that led to a couple of questions about who are the officials? Where do they get them? How do they get them? I think it's interesting because I have I spent a decent amount of time in the SEC going over the officials because everybody in the SEC paid attention to both football and basketball officials. And we knew where everybody was from. I mean, they had an officials directory. Same in the, in the Big Ten. You could go down an officials directory, and you could see where everybody, who they were, where they were from, uh, you know, was there a top-heavy uh, number? Were there a top-heavy number of official uh, referees, let's say, from one particular state? And I know they always would complain that maybe Kentucky had more bas- more basketball officials than than some of the other states. And Kentucky people would say, "Yeah, but we've got more of a tradition, and we've got more good officials because it's a basketball state." And it kind of flipped around on the other. But in in, in the Pac-12, it's life or death. That's like a secret list. They you you can't. You know, you can't request. They say, "Can I see a staff directory of where all the uh, where all the Pac-12 officials are from?" Uh, you know, I'm thinking California is way, way. If you if you just look in terms of population, now you could say, "Well, California's got two of the 12 schools or four of the 12 schools. They should have a third of the officials." My guess is they really do not have a third of the officials. I guarantee you, they don't have a third of the referees. Uh, but uh, Population-wise, you know, the Pac-12 said, I don't know, 80% of the league, if you want by population, uh, California said, and that's not the case. But, again, the fact that we can't know that, we can't find that out. I mean, you could Google every single guy on every team. You can usually Google the referees and find out where they're from, which I try to do every game. But, uh, yeah, where they, where they come from is a big issue. What we used to always hear was, from younger officials in like the, uh, uh, the Mountain West and the WAC and places like that was that there was very little opportunity to get hired by the Pac-12, that the Pac-12 was stuck, that they, they didn't have that many guys moving uh, to the NFL, and they didn't have very many openings for young guys. And so you would see young guys move right from, say, uh, the Mountain West to the NFL, let's say, but not be able to get hired by the Pac-12. So, uh, so there have been some real questions. Now, it, it looks like there are younger officials than there were when I started covering them, but um, uh, the sad thing is they don't look any more confident, competent or confident, and that's, uh, 
whatever they're doing, and they've tried, they've upgraded it, you know, they've made it. The director of Pac-12 officials now is a vice president for football officiating. He's David Coleman. He's a retired colonel, uh, a longtime respected NFL official, and yet uh, he just hasn't been able to, you know, to get a handle on it. And I... I've talked to him a number of times. I've sat next to him at games. I really like him and respect him. And it just looks like nothing that they're doing is working. And whether you have to start over again, just, you know, chop them down. You know, I would seriously consider uh, just a blanket. Everybody, you know, we're asking everybody to resign and everybody reapply for their positions and then have a, 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 you know, a call, an audition for all the young, you know, good young officials west of the Mississippi to apply, you know, for the Pac-12. And, and we'll see. For a while, the Pac-12 wasn't paying its officials as much as the other conferences. From what I understand, they absolutely are now, that they're up to speed, uh, in, you know, in terms of pay. So uh, you should have your pick when you look at, you know, geographically where the Pac-12 is and with all the cities and all the population, uh, there shouldn't be a problem to come up with really competent officials. That, that, that you have to go through something like Saturday night is, I mean, there should be an emergency meeting at the Pac-12. You know, they should be three hours into it right now, uh, you know, at Walnut Creek in terms of what the heck do we do about this? Because this is an emergency. It's a crisis. It's embarrassing. It, it's damaging the Pac-12 brand. It's damaging the programs. I mean, you know, the, you don't want to, you know, bring the kids in this into this too much, but they know what's going on, and they they know how difficult it is to stand on the sidelines and wait and wait and wait and wait and have to, you know, the games. You can't just stop football games uh, in the middle of the game and just then stop it three and four more times in the next three minutes. You just can't do that. And uh, uh, if I were the Pac, I think Larry Scott almost has to make a statement uh, based on what happened Saturday in the Coliseum. I'm guessing he won't, but he, he should. That, that, that can't be ever allowed to happen again. And it's got to be addressed strongly enough so that the officials know that it can't ever be ha- you know happen again. The problem is, it has to. When you've got, for example, the classic play in that game. I mean, it's hard to say. There's how many of them you could say were classic officiating screws. But it, you know, if you were making a blooper reel of college football officiating for this year, you could just take that game and you'd have enough for every you know situation. But the one play where the Arizona receiver not only steps out of bounds with one foot. He steps out of bounds with the other foot. So if you missed the first one that stepped out of bounds, you saw the second. He catches the ball. The two officials, one was right on the, on the out-of-bounds line. One was way out of position, uh, the one who really should have, who had the responsibility, the, you know, the back judge that had the responsibility. Neither one of them saw it. Uh, so they're going to allow the catch, which would have meant they would have missed the out-of-bounds twice, which results in a penalty then when you come back inbounds and catch the ball. That's illegal touching and a loss of down. So they would have missed one foot out of bounds, then two feet out of bounds, then the illegal catching, and then the penalty loss of down. That's four things, and they were going to give them the yards. So that's five mistakes on one play by two officials who were on the play. Those guys can't be allowed to suit up this Saturday. I mean, they can't. They're just, they're incompetent. I mean, they shouldn't, they shouldn't be allowed to, you know, officiate probably anything above JV football where, you know, you learn, you learn the game. But uh, it did not look like they're capable of being varsity uh, high school officials, much less uh, uh, Pac-12 officials. So anyway, that's, uh, that's my best take on all that stuff. Yeah. So I, uh, it was it was pretty bad, and you know we know on our message boards and you see on Twitter, people can get all and crazy. And there's a you know is there a you know a debate of you know I I think it's general incompetence. Some people are like no, it's definitely against you know they're screwing USC and stuff like that. I'm not gonna I'm willing to go there, but the incompetence level is, is extremely high in my opinion. Uh, but to see like 
national writers in the press box talking about it or talking to them afterwards or seeing them tweet about it when I think Sports Illustrated on the front page of their website were given, you know, finer points of the weekend. And one of their points was not about the game. It was about the officiating in the game. Um, I mean, I think that's something you have to kind of take seriously. I I sent uh, David Hirsch, who does a great job. He's a vice president of communications for Pac-12. And, uh, you know, I communicate with him every once in a while and sent him an email this morning. I haven't heard back yet. Um, But it's, uh, I'm I mean, it hasn't been their MO to do anything. Uh, in situations like this, but you know, is it bad enough now that they will? I, I just don't know. I'm just I'm not sure that anything's going to be done. But um, I mean, I think if you're a USC fan and you want to call the athletic department and put pressure on them, um, at least that would give them more reason to put pressure on the Pac-12 office if they're not doing it already. Which I don't know. You heard like Clay Helton said he didn't. He wasn't really going after the officials. That's just really not his mo. But behind the scenes, something should be getting done and so if you're a usc fan you know maybe call you know call the athletic department and tell them how unhappy you were and is anything going to be done yeah but just thinking uh you know if you want to have somebody from from the outside be kind of uh you know an enforcement uh unit that would do something about this maybe the tv networks i mean maybe you get espn to just say look we can't handle all this dead air okay saturday uh, the people that were doing the Michigan State uh, 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 Penn State game ended up with what a two-hour delay for lightning. I think our, our buddy Bruce Feldman was there trying to cover that game. Three hours and twenty-two minutes. everybody out of the stadium and all that. Well, okay, that's an act of God. You know, that's the, one of those things. Uh, there's nothing you can do about it. But then to have another game on the same day where all the holdups were because of the Pac-12 officials. I'm sorry. No, that can't be that can't be allowed, and and those guys shouldn't be allowed to do another game. They really shouldn't. That crew, uh, they're destructive to college football. Uh, thank goodness the whoever you know the replay review guy had enough sense to you know correct three or four of those mistakes. But uh, I mean, what do you need people on the field for if you're going to have the replay guy you know make the calls and uh, and fourteen to three. I mean, let's face it, USC was the superior athletic team, and except for Khalil Tate. Uh, to think that Arizona uh, giving up five sacks in a game where they'd only given up five all year got called no times the entire game for holding. Uh, it, it, it's not possible. Uh, that, that, that Arizona got called just three times for penalties. USC got called 14 I think that was the original, the first time I went to a Pac-12 officials meeting uh, with Pete Carroll, and that was his first major complaint. And Pete had done all the homework. We didn't realize this from the year before. And he went in there and said, here's the thing. You could say that we're aggressive and we deserve the penalties or whatever. And said, so we have control to some extent on what we do. He said, the pattern in the Pac-12 and it was for several years, was that whoever played USC, penalties dropped off half. The average was just about half, so that uh, whether you were playing a high-penalty team or a low-penalty team or whoever, whoever it was that played USC, their penalties dropped. And Pete asked the then-supervisor officials, how do you explain that? Well, the guy said, He'll get back to it. He'll get back to USC. Of course, he never got back to USC. I think everybody knew exactly what that meant. Is that, uh, and, you know, that's the kind of thing. I don't think it's happening like that now. I think, I think you hate to say this, I think they're almost too incompetent uh, to do that kind of thing. It just, I think stuff like that just happens. They just, you know, they're just going to let it go. Uh, and, and obviously, they seem to be more in tune with uh, throwing something on USC. Not that USC doesn't ask for it. For example, uh, a big-time official, when Jack Jones and Jenna Harris did their little second, you know, fake photo shoot after an incomplete pass to stop uh, Arizona, if you're a big-time official, if you're, if, 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 let's say I'm the official, I walk up to the two of them, put my arms on each of their shoulders, and say, guys, 
you do that again, I'm flagging you. It wouldn't be right to do that now. You guys stopped them. This would extend the drive. It was completely away from the play. You weren't taunting anybody from Arizona. Nobody from Arizona even saw it. Almost nobody in the stadium saw it, but I saw it. And I don't want you doing it again. And I'm going to explain to your coach what went on and why I didn't throw the flag, but I'm not giving you the benefit of the doubt the next time. What does a, you know, a little incompetent uh, you know, weenie Pac-12 official do? Grabs his flag immediately and throws it, extends a series that shouldn't have been extended, uh, changes the course of the game for something that he shouldn't, should not have done. And that's, they've got too many of those guys in the Pac-12. I mean, everybody that I know, whoever officiated a Big Ten or an SEC game, not a single one of them would have thrown that flag. None of them. Not any of them. But uh, Pac-12, that's what happens. And it, it, it's just wrong. And you got to have guys that are more in charge and more confident in themselves and uh, more ability to run a game efficiently and smartly, and, and that doesn't seem to be the case with anybody almost that you see in the Pac-12. I mean, it's just, it's true, for, you know, from referees to, you know, the last guy on the crew, uh, they just don't seem like they're capable of, of handling the big events, the big plays, the big moments, the high pressure. They just, they're just not up to it, and it's, it's a shame. It certainly is. All right. Well, enough of the officials, uh, but just one we had to get that. There were just so many people writing in. We had to address it and we had to talk about it. Um, let's see. We'll go. We got another voicemail. Here you go. Ryan and uh, Dan, this is uh, Dan, uh, deplorable Dan and Tustin. I just wanted to ring in with you the fact that this program used to compete for national championships year in and year out. Now, we can't seem to win the Pac-12 South. I left you an email early in the year saying the program is in ruins. You didn't think so. Trust me, it's in ruins. Bye-bye. Yeah. Okay, my uh, uh, my deplorable uh, uh, <laughs> namesake uh, from Tustin. Uh, you, you could say that? Hey, if they'd have shown up ready to play in Pullman, they're in the hunt for the college football playoffs. They'd be, you know, in the hunt for a 12 and one season with a real sense of uh, maybe we'll be the fourth team. I mean, let's face it, if they'd have won that, won that game, which now you look back and you see what Arizona did to Washington State, you see what Cal did when they both went after Washington State, didn't go tippy-toeing uh, after them. Uh, what USC should have done, obviously. USC was intimidated by the five, you know, by the Friday night game, and oh, we don't have, oh, we can't wear pads this week. Oh, that was, oh, we're not going to be ready, and let's just go up there with the worst game plan ever, and all that kind of thing. So they win that game, which they absolutely should have done, and then uh, then you go into South Bend as an undefeated team, and you probably would have kept your ranking, you know, up at number five or so, and you're in the hunt. So you probably don't go into South Bend and completely embarrass yourself. Okay, so now you're you're up in there, you know, with Georgia and you know Notre Dame guys in that next uh, that next group. Uh, so to say that you know they're not in the hunt and they're not going to be in the hunt and all of that is just it's not the case. They they've got a chance. It just you know they had two games where they totally totally didn't show up, totally didn't prepare for. Uh, you know, that's on the coaches, no question about it. That's on the coaches, uh, and uh, but they're not that far away. Uh, it's not in ruins. Now, you know, if they lose uh, either one of these, if they lose the Colorado or UCLA game, if they for some yeah, – and I, I, I agree. Uh, winning the Pac-12 almost has to be kind of a given for USC. I mean, they've got to go into every year thinking, this is our, our league, we're going to win it, and that they haven't been able to. Um, you know, says a lot about a lot of different things, uh, you know, about the coaching, the coaching choices, the NCAA uh, penalties, the fact that the Pac-12, you know, screwed them in 2011 when they were, you know, clearly the, the Pac-12 South champs. And, you know, whether they were going to get to go on or not, they should have been allowed to play for the championship. And, and that team wins the championship. Um, I don't think there's any question. And uh, uh, so 
they've had one of the, you know, in those years, they've had a team that, that was the best team in the Pac-12. So, uh, but they've got to prove it this year. They've got a chance to win it. The Pac-12 isn't very good. Uh, and um, they can't blow these kinds of opportunities. So, uh, you know, they've got to show up ready to play the next, uh, next three games, and we'll see. But, uh, but I don't think they're in ruins yet. Yeah, that seems a little rough in ruins when they're, you know, stranglehold in the Pac-12 South. But we'll see, Dan. Um, we got one from Paul. He said, hello, Dan. I don't have a question this week. All right. He said, I just wanted to give a shout-out to Matt Lopes. He is providing quality minutes on the defense. Thanks from Paul. You aren't kidding. And he, he, not, he's, he's smart and tough. I mean, he, he just takes people down, and he makes plays. Uh, he's where he's supposed to be. Uh, I mean, his tackling, he just, I mean, he, every time he tackles somebody at the clinic, uh, yeah, you can't, you cannot ask for more, you know, in a, in a former walk-on. I mean, he's just such a, such a good, a good thing that he decided to go ahead and, uh, and play this year. I think he had, he had graduated, so, uh, he didn't have to. And, uh, uh this team is much better, uh, off for, uh, for Matt Lopes, no question about it. We got one from Matt No C. He says, do the coaches go to the game with a game plan for the adjustments the opponent will make? It seems like the coaching staff is always slow to adjust to the adjustments. For instance, for the, in the Arizona game, it took them a quarter and a half to adjust to the misdirection. It allowed Arizona to tie the game back up. That's from Matt. Yeah, that's a good question. What is that, the art of war? Where you know, the, the thing you've got to be ready for is what they do you know, after the, after the battle starts and, uh, you know, what, what's their, uh, second step. Uh, and I think some of that is, uh, there's some stubbornness, uh, and you probably to be a good football coach, to be a good coordinator, you got to have some stubbornness. Uh, you don't want to abandon things, uh, at first blush and, and you like the things you're doing. Those are the things you worked on. Uh, and you don't always have time to work on everything every week, but, uh, uh, the ability to adjust is obviously uh, you know, what makes the difference between the really, really, you know, special coaches uh, that that you can adjust to something else that you can do just as well and that you're just as comfortable doing is uh, and and the ability to anticipate what are they going to do uh, that's going to change what we have to do. But uh, that's uh, that's a big part of coaching. That's what it's all about is, is having that ability. But you're right. Uh, you don't want to, you know, you don't want to take too long. You don't want to jump out of what you're doing right away either. Uh, so, you know, there's that. Uh, we talked about that quote balance, uh, that fine line between, uh, you know, jumping too quickly and then or staying in something too long. And uh, maybe they did a little bit um, Saturday, but you knew they were going to do something. I, mean, I, I give them such good grades for the general plan to take. Uh, Khalil Tate out and to, to limit uh, what he was able to do, make him depend more on his throwing than under pressure than he wanted to, and all of that. That that I'll give him, um, I'll give him uh, the benefit of the doubt for Saturday for sure. Yeah. All right. Uh, let's see. We got Bill. He said, "Hey Ryan and Dan, I was just reading a Tucson paper about Saturday's game. They claim USC barely won. I'm not sure that's accurate because when USC had to score on those final two drives, they executed perfectly." And when U of A needed to do the same, they failed completely. Your thoughts? USC's defense held Tate in check long enough to get the job done, while the offense sputtered at times. More often than not, the offense took advantage of an inferior U of A defense that was lacking in most areas. All in all, a good win. And now on to the Buffs, a game we all hope will be the clincher for the Trojans. Uh, thank you uh, from all of us fans. Bill, soon to be in Mesa, Arizona. Yeah, Bill, I wouldn't take too much of my uh, expert uh, football analysis from uh, Tucson. Uh, you know, let them wait for hoop season to, to start uh, acting like they really understand the game. Uh, Arizona gave up 640 yards of offense. They were gifted 123 yards in penalties. Uh, we'll just say gifted. Uh, probably took away somebody uh, thought they totaled about 200 other yards that USC would have had. And they still got beat by two touchdowns. So, you know, you can make the case that, oh, you know, they, they could have won that game. Yeah, you know, if they, they don't throw the interception and if they drive the ball and if they score and if they, 
get the two-point uh, conversion, and then they hold USC, which they did not, any of those things. Uh, but that's a lot of ifs. Uh, so, but I just think the offensive totals, they had 380 yards of offense. USC had 640, 42, whatever. Um, I'm saying that game probably wasn't that, that close. Actually, I think there are a lot of USC people who would say it was way bigger a margin than the 14-point final score. Uh, I would go with that uh, analysis of the game, that the margin was more than 49 to 35. Yeah. But that's just me. But read Michael Lev if you're over there. He knows what he's talking about. So we, Michael was at the game. But, yeah, there, I mean, USC had, like, I mean, just Ronald Jones alone having, you know, over 100 yards in offense wiped away from penalties. Uh, that's uh, That would be insane, the kind of numbers that they would have. The fact that he still had 200 yards rushing and he could have had over 300 uh, is pretty crazy. We got Tarek. Yeah, that's another, re- oh. that's another reason you get mad at the Pac-12 officials. When you take away uh, a 98-yard touchdown – from, you know, for a play that it was the typical wide receiver block uh, down the field. Uh, that's, uh, that, I, mean, I mean, what does that do for Ronald just in terms of, of you know, maybe All-America, you know, chances his, uh, what does 98 yards on one run do for your, your uh, rushing average for the whole year? I mean, it's just, uh, you know, a, a potential 300-yard game. I mean, uh very disappointing uh, when when kids suffer uh, because of the uh, you know the failings of uh, of these uh, so-called professional officials. We have Tarek uh, with a Q from Atlanta. He said, "Well, he's calling you Coach Dan, by the way." But Coach Dan, okay. Um, he said, "So here's his analysis: One, the defensive game plan was solid. Two, Jenny Harris played pretty well and seems to be in better position more constantly than Iman Marshall." Three, punt and kickoff returns seem much improved. Four, Khalil Tate is a great runner, but his passing is below average. Five, Arizona had the worst defensive front I've seen this year. Six, USC has four very reliable running backs. Seven, the goal line play calling is still horrific. He said, my question is, I think I agree with all those. Uh, My question is, do you see Helton stepping down T. Martin as offensive coordinator after the season? He's a valuable coach and recruiter, but seems to be like a fish out of water controlling the entire offense at times. My question would be, is he controlling the entire offense, Dan? But what, what are your thoughts on what Tarek said? Well, I think that's, that's one part of that. And the second part of it is that offense that he either controlled most of the time or uh, some of the time or whatever did put up 640 yards and probably should have had 800 uh, if, you know, the flags stay in the, in the pockets. So, I thought that was a pretty good game, although I, I think we uh, also maybe didn't give the uh, coaches much of the benefit. We didn't grade them on the curve, uh, apparently, in, the, uh, in our grades uh, for the game from what I, what I saw. But, uh, but I think they, they did do a better than a, a C job. Uh, but, uh, uh, you know, the goal, goal line play calling – I mean, Clay told me last night when we talked to him about it, I asked him, well, what was going on with the? And he said, well, they were trying to pick, they were trying to run a pick play. And from watching the play, it didn't, it looked like it was almost an inside pick play because they got nobody to the outside. Now, one of the, they had three guys bunched and one guy slips. So whoever was going to be the, the picker or whoever was going to get loose, uh, didn't at all. So they had no one, uh, and, and the thought was, oh, well, we're right on the one-yard line. We can, we'll have two plays to run it in. No, you won't. Not if you get, you know, instead of running a pick play, they, ran, they, they threw a pick, and they didn't have the ball on third and fourth down. My take is you got it on second and one. If you think you could run it in on third and one or fourth and run, run it in on second and one. I mean, that. The idea of running any kind of pick, and, and, and Arizona's got this defense that had guys just sort of standing around. I mean, you didn't know where they were going to go. So USC just kind of ran into a traffic jam in the end zone, and it, 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 obviously Sam should have thrown the ball away uh, uh, without even any question of a doubt. You know, he, had, he threw 20 for 26, sensational. Made some of the greatest th- the, the touchdown pass to Stephen Mitchell, the uh, the lob to uh, 33 yard lob to Ronald Jones on the wheel route uh, 
can't do it any better than that. Nobody in the NFL can throw the ball any better than those two passes. But he had three passes. You just think, oh, my gosh, that's like the worst throw ever. Uh, but uh, he gives you an awful lot of good stuff. But uh, he shouldn't be in a position where he has to throw from the one-yard line a pick-pass pattern into traffic. You just can't ask him to do that. You shouldn't ask anybody to do that. But, uh, but that's the only, way, only place I'd fault him other than that. Uh, I think they got a little bit away from the run game in the third quarter. But the third quarter was so botched up by, as we've all said, officiating that that it was you could see almost how things got out of rhythm in the third quarter. But they did get back to it in the fourth and when it mattered. We got Tarek, who, uh, Tarek with a K who said, do you see Toa Lomondon playing left tackle next year? He seems better suited at guard or center. Uh, uh, it, it probably wouldn't surprise me if he moved to center. Uh, not at all. Uh, that would be uh, – you know, I, I'm not sure – He's ever going to be big enough to be the classic, the way you play guards now. Uh, I, I, I'm not sure about that. But, but center, yeah, I could see him moving into, into center. Uh, I think it would make a, make a lot of sense uh, to have a, a veteran leader uh, who's played there before. Uh, that, would, that would be very logical. It would be a good reason for Toa to come back to, uh, to be absolutely the guy that if the NFL drafts you, they can say, hey, we're getting a guy who can play every position on the offensive line, uh, especially he can play center. Uh, and that really uh, extends an NFL roster. So I think the ability to play center and, and also play the other positions is a big deal when it comes to the NFL. So, uh, so I think that would be a good move all the way around. Uh, this voicemail, I think, was sent in before the, uh, the game, actually, but just kind of the topic that he wanted to address. So I want to play it for you. Here you go. J.D. from D.C., uh, Dan, I'm recording this on Friday before the ASU game, and while I'm anticipating a loss, regardless of the outcome, uh, I just couldn't not comment on the Kenny Bigelow, quote, transition. It was just so bizarre the way it occurred so nonchalantly and casually, and it was so accepted by the coaches, even the players and stuff. I mean, you know, I don't care how far Barry is in the depth chart. We're really hurting on the D-line, and with Rector out, you should have just announced yesterday, uh, I'm practicing today because obviously you may need me on Friday. It just suggests so much of what's lacking about the culture and the milieu and the awareness and the sense of urgency and commitment uh, in this entire program. You know, that's what's got to change. J.D., uh, let me say this. I'm not the, you know, the last guy when it comes to being a, a little bit judgmental or coming down on people. I'm just not sure that we are privy to everything that was involved in that decision. I, I just think we don't know and we can't know. And um, having talked to Kenny about it, it just didn't seem like there's any way to go back. Uh, and he certainly had the opportunity to. And, uh, I know they talked about there were some personal issues involved, you know, with Kenny. And it just seemed like uh, as much as we might look at it from the outside and say, well, how would it be easy to go back and all that? I, I, I think it clearly was not that easy to flip back. And even though the circumstances had changed and you lost Marlin and you needed, you know, another defensive lineman, uh, I, 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 I'm hesitant to talk about the culture or about that particular decision because I just don't think we know everything and we're probably not going to know everything that went into that decision. So I'm just happy that, that Kenny, who's you know, given a lot to this program and had some, you know, some tough deals to, uh, you know, to handle, uh, is able to you know, stay around the kids and, and be part of the program and, and do whatever he can. And, uh, and I'm just not going to you know, come down on him or the program for, for the way this played out. I, I just think, you know, we're pretty close to the program, and I don't think we know enough to, to really make that kind of judgment. We have, uh, I think there's four emails left, that, but not specifically having to do with the game. Was there any, before we jump into them, was there any other kind of game topics you wanted to discuss, specifically with USC Arizona? I mean, I just think what the game shows is at the top end – when you look at Rojo and you look at uh, you know, guys like Stephen Mitchell 
and Tyler Vaughn's, you know, adding them to uh, now Michael Pittman and now, you know, and obviously Deontay and Daniel Matarbaby becoming more a factor. And then Rojo and, and said, you realize, and with Sam, obviously, you realize this team's got a lot of weapons that most everybody they play don't ha- do not have. They, they just don't have the weapons at the top end that USC has. And that's what makes it so uh, discouraging when they don't show up to play, when they don't show up at Washington State, when they don't show up at Notre Dame, because the top end is pretty high on these guys. And uh, you just, for their, you know, for, for the program's sake, for their sake, you want them to be able to perform at that level because they can do some things that uh, the people you're playing can't do. And, uh, and just the fact that, Four straight weeks, Khalil Tate had been the Pac-12 Offensive Player of the Week, which means against four straight defenses, they had absolutely no answer for him. He just ran crazy. USC comes in. You know, they don't have everybody there. They're not completely healthy. But they pretty much held him in check, except, you know, for one burst that you said, okay, there's Khalil Tate. But other than that, uh, this is a pretty good this can be a pretty good USC football team. Uh, and, and you just want to be able to see them be that team every time they go out. And uh, that's been the disappointment this year that that, that hasn't happened. Okay. Um, well, here's the, the other questions. We'll get to these. So, what, like I said, not specifically about the game, but stuff they wanted to uh, ask you about. Bobby and Chino, he said, first time I've contacted you all time, first time at all, long-time listener, I'm still listening to Dan's podcast, but I want to know if you noticed the the quote. You noticed he said, "quote It seems like Coach Helton was coaching harder at ASU, and was showing more fight towards the refs and the players." Did you witness that? Has the coaching staff changed at all? Firing people up a little bit more. Uh, also, no pass interference, no Ebon Marshall. Uh, though I think it may have been an aspect of the rush, but it was nice to to see that uh, not see Biggie out there grabbing. So this was after the Arizona State game. I think he said this in after we recorded our podcast. He said that the backups do better in that area. Your thoughts? I'll take uh, smaller hits if it doesn't mean free yards and first downs. Uh, you guys make me miss campus. Fight on. Bobby from Chino, class of 2004. Yeah, Bobby, I think both of those things. I think the Arizona State or Arizona game on top of the Arizona State game says, yes, Clay is coaching a little more demonstratively on the sidelines. I mean, he got the warning for running. I mean, let's face it. You have to run out on the field with these officials in that game. But he did it twice, and he got the 15-yard penalty, even though he was correct. Uh, you know, he got them to, to get the one call right. Uh, and so I, I like that, that Clay Helton. I don't know how you can coach in this league if you're not that guy. Uh, I mean, I just think you, you, know, you have, to be, have to be that guy. Yeah, I think they're, I think they're being a little bit more – uh, demonstrative and a little bit more, uh, you know, I, I think after the Washington State and Notre Dame games, I don't think you've got any choice. You know, you've got to, every every great uh, college football coach has to have a little bit of Nick Saban in him, and uh, I think we're seeing some of that. Now, when we talk to Clay on Sunday, that all goes away. I mean, we don't, we don't hear any of that, uh, and we don't hear much of it after practice or whatever. We're seeing a little bit more practice. Uh, hearing a little bit more elevated uh, voices at times and a little bit more demands to run something over. Uh, but, uh, but, yeah, I think that's a, that's a good observation. I think the second part of that is uh, the, uh, the guys that are filling in in the secondary have uh, uh, acquitted themselves pretty well, and, and they haven't committed those kinds of uh, play uh, drive-extending penalties, and I think that's a, that's a big deal. And they just trusted their athleticism. And trusted, uh, you know, we'll stay in the play on the deep balls. We'll stay there. We aren't going to do anything dumb. And uh, we're going to trust ourselves to be in position to make a play. And uh, for the most part, that's what they did. All right. Well, the next one is from SC Made. He said, um, if you know the season was going to be tough, it's a hard schedule, along with zero bye weeks, uh, and you're going to play a physical team, wouldn't you want to, to play more bodies in your rotation every year? Every team has injuries. You know it's going to happen. Can you ask Clancy if he watched the Eagles-Redskins game from last Monday night? The Philly defensive line rotated eight men, ranging uh, 15 to 30 snaps each. 
Not only are legs fresh, but everyone is getting some action to help the team and helps breed a physical team spirit. Gruden was in love with this. He put that in all caps. Also, great point on T having to pick up the extra load for those on his staff that can't recruit or won't. Uh, he knows uh, who they are and who they are on the defensive side of the ball. That is great that Clancy gets to play the NFL guy card, but guess what? You're coaching at USC and not the NFL. Uh, I think it's chicken bleep that Clay doesn't uh, look some of the guys up, uh, lock some of these guys up behind closed doors. How about you take the additional workload off the first-time offensive coordinator and put that on the, quote, seasoned NFL guys? That's from SC Maid, who seems to be a T. Martin fan and not a Clancy Pendergast fan. Yeah, we'll, we'll let the comment just uh, pretty perceptive and uh, interesting and uh, the kind of thing that, uh, you know, some people are thinking and wondering about. Uh, as far as the rotation a little bit more, yeah, I think I would be more in favor of rotation. Uh, I'm more of that, uh, although kind of the NFL thing has been not that much rotation, so the Eagles are going kind of counter uh, to the way uh, that we've seen in the NFL, that to the way kind of Clancy uh, comes in from the NFL. Uh, and one of the issues is they do need everybody on the same page on defense. If one guy goes the wrong way, uh, I mean, we've seen w- one play on defense where 10 guys went the right way and the 11th guy didn't, and it's, uh, I'm trying to think, Bryce Love, uh, whatever he was, 80-yard touchdown. That was 10 guys doing the right thing and one guy doing the wrong thing, and boom, he's gone. So in Clancy's defense, there is that potential if uh, somebody's not up to speed. So I think maybe a little more so than maybe some other defenses that you could you could say you've got to be ready to play and you've got to know what you're doing and it is not going to come right away. Uh, and then some of that you could say, well, shouldn't you coach to your players and where they are and what they can do and not expect them to – you know, to be NFL, you know, caliber, uh, you know, players in terms of understanding the game. So, you know, that's a that's a good topic to debate. Uh, not sure which uh, which side is the right side to come down on in that one, but it's certainly uh, an item worthy of discussion. Uh, this is from Keith, and I think this might have been a little bit, a little while ago, but he said once again. So I think this might have been after the Notre Dame game, but I saved it. We didn't get to it the other shows. He said, once again, we call for Clay Helton's head. By we, I mean the fickle and patient fans. No, Helton is not Nick Saban. In fact, he's better in his first two full seasons to date as a head coach. Look at Saban's record. Yes, he's had a lot of consistently good seasons, but even he has not always had perfect seasons. He's always had a number of years to build the program, bring kids in the system, not for one year, but for many years. Give Helton a break. Give them a chance to actually build the program, uh, bring kids up through the process. One or two summers do not count, and after a few years is when it starts to count. Oh, and guess what? Look at Pete Carroll's record. Yes, Helton is better than him in his first two seasons to date. Freshmen don't often play consistently, but when you have players moving in and out due to injury, there are synergy issues, especially since no one has been in Helton's program for long. Uh, I'm not saying he is perfect. I am not saying I love the play calling, and yes, I do have issues with some of the fundamentals, but a lynch mob at this point is ridiculous and fickle. Uh, that's from Keith. Yeah, Keith, I, I think you're right. I, I think you've got to give them uh, through the end of each year. I mean, you can't, you know, I know we we talk about, wow, if this game goes south, this is going to be very hard to, to bounce back from or whatever. But I do think you, know, you really kind of have to look at the whole season and how it plays out and uh, and, and where they are. Uh, you know, not just at, at the end of every game. Uh, I know I was not happy with the preparation for Washington State. Didn't have a good feel about that going into the game. Uh, thought there's been too much talk about 12 games, uh, 12 weeks, no box. Uh, just way too much. That, that that's in the players' heads. I mean, I just, or the idea that, Oh, we can't go and go in pads this week. This is too, you know. Well, what do you think is going to happen when you get to Pullman? They're going to be playing in pads. Uh, I mean, some of that. I think USC played uh, with their own worst enemies. Uh, in, you know, in terms of this this kind of an approach. Uh, but uh, uh, I think you got to let the whole season play out. And uh, with all the issues, and and ter- you know, in terms of staff and recruiting and all of that, you you you, you can't just start saying, uh, you know, after this particular game, now we know, and let's go somewhere else. And you're right. 
uh, I was surprised somebody posted on the P, and I hadn't known this, how many seasons that Nick Saban had with three or more losses. And it was a surprising number. And, you know, a similar number to, you know, Coach McKay, uh, that, you know, over the, over the years, you, you evaluate Coach McKay on the four national championships in 16 years, but he had other years that, that you know, were not national championships. So uh, I think national championships factors in if you're a USC football coach. That has to be part of the, uh, part of the equation. Uh, but in, in the first two years, not necessarily so. Uh, but it has to be building to that, and it has to be an obvious path that that that's where it's going. And uh, I don't think I don't think we have enough you know information yet. If you win a Pac-12 championship this year, uh, you're in a place that you won in last year as well as last year finished up. And I know some of the players. I think Sam was talking about that a little bit. He said, "Well, one of the things is we we can win the Pac-12 championship now." Uh, where we are now, and last year it was like, well, we've got to hope, but man, this this has to happen and that has to happen, and it's probably not going to all happen. So, uh, so I think there are ways that you could say, well, there has been there has been progress, uh, as as well as big time disappointments, as well as a number of games where it just didn't look like they showed up and played their best game. But uh, but let's let's let it play out. And we got one last one, um, not even a football one. It's from Nick, off football topic for Dan Weber. Can you speak on the basketball team, the season outlook, possible sanctions slash investigation, and any thoughts you want to share? I trust your opinion considering you grew up around Kentucky basketball. That's from Nick. Yeah, I don't know how this is going to affect. I think using Coach Brand, I think he's a big loss on the bench and uh, game preparation and uh, you know game time decisions, in game decisions, all of that. Um, I know that uh, the uh, first scrimmage that they had, they're not allowed to cover, you know, publicize them or whatever. But I think it was so shocking. Game was at Galen about uh, maybe almost two weeks ago now. Uh, San Diego State comes up with a new coach, almost all new players, picked to uh, be sixth in the Mountain West, and beats USC 98-76. to 76. Now, that just shouldn't happen. I mean, uh, and I know people who were there said, well, it wasn't as bad as the score. That's bad. I'm sorry. That team, USC, shouldn't be getting beat by San Diego State by any, any means, any way, any time. I know they didn't play. Apparently, they didn't play DeAnthony Melton, who might be one of the guys mentioned um again nobody's nobody's saying but he didn't play um i don't think he played they scrimmaged san francisco friday at galen i think they won pretty decisively and i think san francisco is supposed to be pretty decent in the in the uh uh the big west i guess it is uh but i think you know i mean i i would have thought they they're at least the number 10 team in the country based on the talent they have returning and the experience and, you know, what they were able to do at the end of, you know, last year. Uh, now, whether they can get them there, I think is a big question. Uh, obviously there are question marks about this team right now. And uh, I would think, you know, losing your coach and losing at least one player, uh, possibly I mean, again we don't know how i mean that's a kind of a cloud that's just hanging over this program and and that doesn't usually work all that well uh i know at kentucky when when they had those kinds of questions uh that just you know wouldn't go away uh in some years uh that makes it tougher that makes it that makes it really tough so will this team be able to play together play smart, play, uh, you know, use all of their talent, take things away from people, uh, play fast. Uh, I don't know. Uh, I think they've got a chance. And maybe they, you know, turn the, uh, uh, the whole investigation and losing a coach and a player, uh, turn that, you know, against uh, kind of the world and say, well, we're going to show everybody and we're going to come out and, and, and we're going to, you know, we've got a veteran team. We've got a lot of size. We've got a lot of athletes. Um, even if you lose one of them, USC's still got a lot of, uh, a lot of talent to put on the floor. Uh, I think we'll see. 
what everybody's made of, including these players and, and you know, and Andy Enfield. This is a challenge that uh, is something that I think they weren't anticipating. And now they've got to, you know, know how to deal with it. And we don't know where this investigation is going and are there other shoes to drop and how does that all play out? I mean, it, it also affects Arizona, uh, probably the other really good team in the Pac-12. So, you know, uh, how that all plays out, who knows? I mean, the other part of that is in the Pac-12's great tradition, USC and Arizona only play once this year, and they play at Arizona. Uh, so it makes it a little more difficult in the Pac-12 uh, you know, scheme of things as well. But, uh, but I think they could be pretty good. But, man, there's an element of doubt that's been in, you know, in, inserted right now that, uh, that I, I don't think we really have any idea how it's going to play out. Yeah, we don't, but uh, getting getting started here pretty soon. So if you're a Pac-12 Pac USC basketball fan, make sure you check it out. We'll be down there covering practices and games and all that, so you can check out that. Yeah, coverage. Friday night, I think they uh, uh, will be in uh, will be in Boulder, but I think they open Friday night against Fullerton, Cal State Fullerton, I believe. I think I've got that right. Yeah. So uh, check them out. Check it out. All right. Well, that's Dan Weber. Uh, great stuff. Lots of questions. Lots of officiating talk. Uh, USC controlling their own destiny and just really has a stranglehold, like I said, on the Pac-12 South. Uh, book your flights now if you want to go to Santa Clara. <laughs> and then don't get mad at me if they somehow collapse and lose to Colorado and UCLA. And, and both Arizonas have to win out until they play one another, and then obviously one of them is going to lose. But uh, so many things have to happen. I mean, the, the, the odds on USC losing to both Colorado and UCLA and Arizona and Arizona State winning their other two games, and then one of them wins the last game. I don't know what the parlay would be if you went to Las Vegas right now and, and, and bet that, but uh, that'd be a pretty long shot. It certainly would. All right. Well, Dan, great stuff. Thanks again for coming on. Thanks to our sponsor, Trader Joe's, and thank you all for listening to our little show here. We're going to do probably do a recruiting one this week. I'm going to do a preview one uh, talking about USC and Colorado. Uh, most likely with Adam Munster Tiger does a great job at Buff Stampede over on the Scout 247 network. So we'll uh, we'll talk with him, do a, do an update there. You still have some more questions in, so I'll try to answer those too before we do the, uh, the game preview. But thanks so much for tuning in to the Peristyle Podcast, and we will talk to you next time. You may have noticed that shopping at Trader Joe's is unlike shopping at other markets. People ask us all the time how we manage to have such unique, interesting, and delicious products at such great everyday prices. This is Dan Bain of Trader Joe's. The answer is simple. It's all in the way we do business. We buy directly from the manufacturer whenever possible. This helps to keep our costs low, and we pass those savings on to you. No gimmicks, just great values at honest prices. Every day at Trader Joe's. Thanks for listening. You've been listening to the Peristyle Podcast, presented by uscfootball.com. Be sure to tune in next week for the latest news on Trojan football and recruiting. Don't forget, you can automatically download the podcast directly to your smartphone or tablet for free. Just click the iTunes link on peristylepodcast.com or search for Peristyle Podcast at the iTunes Music Store. 